Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ChurchleaderInsights.com podcast. I'm Nelson Searcy, and I'm your host for these regular podcasts where we focus on church growth, church planting, and church health. And today we are in part three of a conversation that I've been having with Bill Eason. And if you don't know Bill, you're going to love him. And uh, Bill Eason uh, has been on the cutting edge of church growth and church health for over 40 years. Uh, he served as the pastor uh, in uh, one of the largest United Methodist churches in the United States. And then he left that uh, after a successful career in pastoring to become a consultant. And uh, he has consulted with over 700 congregations and along the way uh, wrote numerous best-selling books in the church and ministry world, including my favorite, uh, Church Growth Handbook, one of his first books, as well as uh, Go Big, Leading Your Church to Explosive Growth. And in this conversation with Bill, in fact, this is part three of our three-part conversation, uh, we're going to talk about the vital role of the pastor. And uh, this uh, conversation is a little bit uh, long. It's almost 20 minutes uh, in length because we not only get into the role of the pastor, but we also talk about the vital role of the pastor when it comes to staffing the church for growth. And so there's something in this podcast, whether you pastor a church of 65 or 6,500. Now, uh, the volume on here may be just a little bit hard to hear because we recorded this live at my private Renegade Pastors Conference in Los Angeles, California. And I did this conversation. It was a no-holds-barred conversation uh, with Bill Eason. Uh, in front of about a hundred renegade pastors, and uh, if you're not familiar with my renegade pastors network, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to be a part of that uh, at the end of uh, this conversation with Bill. So hang on for that, as I'll be back in the studio after part three of this conversation. And then, if you're not familiar with the conference, it's because it's a private event that only my renegade pastors network and other coaching network members uh, are invited to. So it's not a, a public uh, kind of conversation. It's a, it's a high level conference. Uh, if you will, excuse me, not conversation, but it's a high-level uh, conference. So we uh, we happened to record it, and then afterwards, as I listened to it, I thought this is so good that we edited it into this three-part conversation we've been having over the last three podcasts. And uh, so I know you're going to enjoy this one. So grab a notepad, get ready to take some notes, get ready to be challenged as uh, I uh, talk with Bill Eason on the vital role of the pastor. Let's go live uh, to the Hyatt Regency in Los Angeles, California for this part three conversation. Let's, uh, let's shift and talk about uh, the role of the pastor and then we'll get into staff a bit. You give a layout in the book of uh, how the pastor's role has to change as the church grows. So in a small to medium-sized church, the pastor is more of an entrepreneur or you call it a partner with the people. In a medium to large church, it goes to a chief operating officer. And then in a very large church, it moves to chief executive officer. And then in a mega church, uh, chairman of the board. Can a pastor grow in that way? Or is it a different pastor for each level? Well, uh, you have to grow that way. I don't know what your experience has been, but uh, uh, my experience was I, I had to go through a metamorphosis about four times. Yeah, I've pastored like six different churches. Yeah. Yeah, same church, but you know. I, yes, I, yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you said that because yeah. Yeah, it is a different church. When you go from 200 to 500, you have a different animal, and you have to you have to lead differently. And what were the? I, I would I wouldn't necessarily use those terms. I didn't use those terms in, in my last book, um, uh, but it's still the same thing. When usually around 200, there's a major shift in the way we got to do things, and usually around 500, somewhere between 200 and 500, there's a shift. Uh, and 
pastors that can't make those shifts are the ones that grow a church to a certain size and then it stays there. Or they, they come into a church that somebody else has grown to a certain size and they grow it back to the size that they're, they're comfortable leading. And we see this all the time, especially in my tribe uh, where the pastors are appointed rather than called. Uh, a guy or a gal is in church. The person that followed me had, had never had a staff and never been in church over 200. We were running 2,000, and they put this person in as my replacement. Well, guess what? In five years, the church was running 500. What else would happen? And, and my tribe has seen this over and over and over and over. Because people, most people can only grow to a certain level. And what separates the good from the great are the people who can reinvent themselves. And, and you've done it four or five times. I've done it. I, I had to do it four or five times. It's painful. Uh, and you, you read about pastors hitting the wall, you know, and, and usually that wall is, it's, things aren't working. I hit my wall in 80, 82. Uh, things weren't working. I, I had to reinvent myself to, to let go of stuff. Yeah. You know, that was my problem. I didn't want to let go of anything. Because I can do it better than anybody. <laughs> That's a real problem, you know. <laughs> with, with 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 folks that you know that, that are effective, it, it gets it gets to your head and makes you think you're more important than you really are. But I I had to go through the, the motion, not the motion, the, the the movement of realizing that if this thing's going to go on any further, it's not going to be on my shoulders. It's going to be on the back of all of us, and I got to get out of the way of some of these people. Um, that's the hardest thing for a pastor to do, I think. Yeah, you get comfortable, you stop growing. Uh, you know, that shift from 200 to 500, the old church growth guys used to call that the shift from being a shepherd to being a rancher. Yeah. And so you, you were a shepherd at 200 because you were shepherding the sheep, but then at 500 you become a, a rancher and you oversee other shepherds. The problem I had, the wall that I hit around 500, is that uh, I didn't have shepherds to ranch you know <laughs> i was a rancher but all the people that i hired up to 500 they were all doers and so i had to learn how to turn my staff into shepherds not just doers because in the early days you just need somebody to do you don't have anybody to delegate to yeah and if yours were able to make the shift from 200 to 500 that's very unusual no i, I you had to let a lot go yeah i had yeah. a couple that made the shift and yeah. they kept evolving because they kept learning they kept growing they kept reinventing themselves but a lot of them just had to go somewhere where yep. the church was smaller and they could grow it from 100 to 200 or something. Right. That, that's, I run into that all the time, and, and that's the most painful thing. I, I know the church that I, that I go to, uh, Cornelius had to make that decision, and they were at 6,000, and somebody had been with him from the very beginning. Yeah, they made a lot of shifts, but sooner or later. Yeah. That it, the per, this one person reached the point, and this was a key person because been with them from the very beginning, and it was it was very painful, uh, but it was best for that person because that person went on to somewhere else yeah. where they could grow that place to where uh, they were, uh, their ability was 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 uh, still being challenged, and the church that I'm at could keep on on growing. Uh, that's why you get paid the big bucks. 
to make those hard decisions. What? Somebody gets paid big bucks? Yeah. Write that one down. Well, that was, that's uh. a, you're supposed to laugh, you know, that's a joke. <laughs> but uh, my joke, Apparently, they all get paid the big bucks. They, We're the only ones who are getting paid the big they, bucks. They may be. I don't know. But, but you know, it's, 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 if you're a lead pastor, there are hard decisions you have to make. And a lot of times, it's people you're really good friends with that you've been with for a while. And, um, you know, you just have to do it. Yeah. Let's talk uh, on that same vein with staff. Uh, you give uh, Growth Principle 10. We had to skip a bunch. We got one and two, and then we jumped over here. Uh, growth Principle 10, uh, growth is directly related to the attitude of the paid staff. Talk to us about staffing for growth. Uh, well, that's what my uh, last book's all about. Um, staffing for growth means, in, in my mind at least, that, that you've got s- that you've got four bases covered. And I mentioned those, I think, yesterday. But the four bases, someone that lives and breathes bringing people in the front door, uh, someone who lives and breathes retaining them, uh, and someone who lives and breathes discipling them, and then someone who lives and breathes sending them back out. Now, you can, as your church small and grows, you can combine those. But those are the four, the four what I call the four engines that, that, that run a church. Um, when, when, when we were small, uh, up until about 500, I was the one responsible for figuring out how do we reach the city uh, and how do we respond to people when they show up. So, you know, I, I visited four days a week. You wouldn't do that where you are, I don't imagine. But Can't back, get in. They won't buzz you in. Yeah, but back yeah. when I was, you know, in San Antonio back then, uh, I, I visited four nights a week with three families every night, four nights a week. I did that for... Until uh, we got to about 500, and then I handed that off to someone else. But it was a paid staff person. Yeah. It wasn't a volunteer. That's too important to trust to a volunteer that you can't hold accountable, and you really can't hold a, you know the same kind of accountability. So uh, when we got 500, I handed that off. Um, the the one thing I would do over from from what I did back then, I would had somebody on the staff who was doing intentional servant evangelism where we were literally sending people out every week we were doing it but not systematically Uh, and there's a huge difference between doing it sporadically now and then and doing it every week huge difference but you see when you send people out you're looking for three things to happen you're looking for those people to bless the city you're looking for their ministry to other people to bless them and you're looking for visibility for the church. I call that the trifecta of evangelism. Yeah, just say that again. People are writing it down. You, when you send people out to do sermon evangelism, you're looking for three things to happen, three results. Remember the word result? Um, you're looking for people to be blessed by being served. You're looking for people to be blessed because they served. And then you're creating visibility in the community. Um, that's the, the one piece that I would, uh, I would have had somebody uh, systematically doing that, uh, organizing that every week. Um, but those, I think those are the, the key staffing things. You know, worship pastor is, is such a key piece. Um, but uh, if you're going to staff for growth, it, there's still a sense in which every 10 people need a pastor. Uh, and, and every hundred people need 
some kind of supervisor. I don't know what words you want to use for it. But I, I, until you get to be a very large church, you still need to think of one, 1 to 100, 1 to 125. If you've got 500 in worship and there are only three of you full-time equivalents on the staff, uh, you, you're hurting your growth. Um, it, it, now, it, the more small groups you have, the less staff you need. Uh, if you've got, you know, the story I told you where I went to the guy that died and, and they told me I wasn't needed, if you've got those kind of small groups, you can get by with fewer staff. If you've got small groups that function like Bible studies, uh, they, don't, they don't make a hill of beans difference in the number of staff that you need. In the launch conference uh, for church planters, and really even for anybody in my coaching, I lay out a hiring process like this. First, the senior pastor then the worship pastor, then a children's mm-hmm. pastor, and then somewhere way down the line is the youth pastor, the student pastor. I take hits for that all the time. And I thought I was original with that, and I realized I got it from you. <laughs> well, no, I totally agree. Pastor, worship, children. Because, yeah. like, when we plant a church or work with a church planter, we, we won't contract with them if they don't have those three people. Now, they can be part-time. The worship leader and the children's director can be part time, but if you don't have those, you 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 just your plant's not going to get off the ground as a general rule. So if that's true for a plant, it's true for a church. Those are three just vitally. But see, part of that that children's director is part of the retaining piece. Worship and children are part of the retaining piece. Small groups are part of the retaining piece. So you know you I, I, you could be a large church and have one person over all three of those with sub-people underneath that person responsible for children, responsible for youth, responsible for worship. There's all kinds. Of, I, used, I like to fractal. I like to use that term. Yep. Uh, no one should have more than four people reporting to them. And, and, but if you fractal things out, it, you can just go on and on and on, uh, keeping uh, accountability issues small uh, and leadership issues big. Um, but, yeah, worship, I mean, pastor worship children and then it's kind of a free-for-all which direction you're going to go i think based upon the context yeah um anything else you want to stay on on hiring or staffing i've, I've got other questions but i'll move on but is there something else just burning in no. that area uh, we, we, we covered some of that uh in yeah. that last session um yeah yeah and i want to save a little time uh, to open it up for some q a how do you balance this uh in chapter six you you give a growth principle that uh, growing churches are committed to meeting the needs of both churched and unchurched. How do you balance that? Well, if you, if you want people to stay around, and I'll tell you what that came out of, that principle came out of my experience of, of inheriting uh, a traditional heritage. Yeah. Even though I restarted the church, I was still restarting it with people out of the uh, 60s, in fifties and seventies, which very traditional. Um, if when we went contemporary, if I had thrown out the traditional, uh, I would have lost uh, most of my funding because most of my funding was traditional people. Because uh, what I discovered is, as you reach on church people, it takes two to four years to get them even anywhere near what a, a person that's grown up in the church, you know, is, is giving. Um, so I, th- I, it, I think you've got to balance it. 
Now, if you're in a new church, I don't think you have to balance it. So that, that would be, if I were writing the book today, uh, that might be a piece where I would, uh, would change. Because I, if I started a church today, it would not have anything traditional in it at all. Period. What do you say uh, to those who come out of a denominational heritage like you and they're working to grow a church inside of that structure? Uh, love those people in the traditional service, but don't expect them to be in small groups. Don't expect them to be in the uh, forefront of, of your future. Uh, give them the best traditional worship you can give them. Uh, wear your dumb robe if you have to. Uh, you know, because uh, they're good people. Like and, and the the church is only there because of them. They started it. They've paid for it all these years. They're good people. There's, there's nothing wrong with traditional worship per se. It's just that the world's left it behind is, and, and it's not coming back. You know, I, I love the story. The little lady came up to me after one of these, and she said, don't you think when they grow up they'll love to learn Lawrence, love to, uh, they'll learn to love Lawrence Welk? Now, this was back in the 80s when I first started doing these. And, and I said to her, you know, are, are, when you grow up, are you going to learn to love Bill Haley in the comments? Well, her, her response was certainly no. And I said, it's the same with them. They're, they're not. You're, you're missing the whole point. The world has moved away from Bach and Beethoven and, and Lawrence Welk. It's moving to a new... new but... I've got to respect that tradition if I've got an established denominational church. Uh, now, 50 years from now, I will not say that. Yeah. Well, I won't be here 50 years from now. But if I were, I would... First of all, I'd be really surprised. Yeah, <laughs> no. I'd be surprised. <laughs> the but, old joke, old But joke. secondly, you wouldn't need to say it because I, I'm just convinced that that form of worship... Even in the churches that are traditional, that are growing, you, you know, you've got Redeemer down there. That it's traditional. It's growing. Praise the Lord for them. I can send all the traditional folks down there. But they do it very well. Yeah. And there's old school with excellence. Is there's what we call only it. room for a few old school with excellence in a city. You know, and if, if you can't do it as well as the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, uh, your days are numbered. Said the United Methodist. Huh? Said the United Methodist. Yes. Well, I've said that to my tribe for, for three decades. Uh, one more question. And then Nobody we'll, listens. We'll open it up. Um, there's a lot in this book, and I would encourage you to get it. The book is the Church Growth Handbook. Uh, you're still publishing under your formal. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's part of the old world. There you go. Uh, so William Eason. Uh, and uh, I, I would just say buy all of Bill's books. Uh, when we did the interview with you on effective staffing, I pulled all of your books off, and then I, I found a few gaps that I had, and I've just enjoyed going back through those. Uh, there's gold to be mined. And uh, when you read a book like this, and Bill does a great job in this book of sticking with principles. Uh, and you know, the old saying about uh, uh, practices are many, principles are few, practices may change, but principles never do. So, you know, when you read a book, even if it's a book that's 20 years old, if there's principles that are still applicable, pull those out. And that's kind of what this conversation is, that there's just some things that are principles that are still very relevant. And uh, one here uh, that I'll end with, and then we'll take a few questions. Growth Principle 17. So you can see I've jumped 1, 2, 6, and now to 17. Uh, honestly, asking for money encourages growth. That had to be 
controversial because you're writing this in the middle of the seeker movement and the seeker movement was saying don't talk about money the church is only about money but you're saying just be honest about it yeah you know uh not talking about jesus what was it one out of six of his the verses jesus spoke were about money. right here page 97 one out of six must be true i mean if, if let's don't bait and switch I don't. I don't. I, I, I like to bait and switch fishing, but <laughs> but when it comes when it comes to leadership, you don't want to bait and switch. People need to know what they're getting into, uh, you know. And and it, but but if it's all about money, you, you're you're going to wind up in, in the wrong place. But you you can't avoid talking about money. Uh, a lot of church plants make this mistake. They don't talk about money from the beginning, and and they run out of money. And oops, I, I, I guess I better start. Get I the better, Malachi three sermons out. I, yeah. yeah, and it's too late by then. And no, you, you, you talk about it from the beginning. And if you're bringing leaders on board, you don't want to bring them on board unless they're tithing. You know, and this old story about the pastor shouldn't know what people are giving, that, that's bull. I mean, I don't, I don't want you in leadership if you're not committed. And, and Jesus made it very clear, you're not committed if your pocketbook isn't committed. You can commit everything else, but, you know, this, this doctor came to me one day. Remember, he's a member of my church. He was a very good friend, and his life was falling apart. And he said, you know, what, what can I do? And I said, well, George, you make four times more than I do, and I give 20 times more than you give. That's part of the problem. You, you, the money's mastered you rather than you mastering it. Well, I got my kids in school. I got this. So, so do I, based upon salaries. And I said, you're not ever going to get your life together as long as money's mastered you. You have to master it first. And that's, it's ruined a lot of people, yeah. you know, just, it's greed, whatever it might be. But I got to be honest about m- money. I got to be honest about everything. And part of it, you know, if, if people, if, if people, anything you keep from God is going to come back and bite you in the butt. Okay. And, and that's the one place that's sacrosanct. People don't like you to talk about it, but. If you're honest about it and you're upfront about it, um, they'll respond. Especially if you're asking them to give to a vision, not a budget. All right. I am uh, back in the studio as promised. Uh, this podcast series of conversations with Bill Eason has been quite incredible. And uh, we have some really exciting stuff coming up uh, on future podcasts. And so I hope you'll watch your iTunes for that. Or uh, better yet, just uh, regularly uh, visit churchleaderinsights.com or follow my blog, uh, churchleaderinsights.com forward slash blog. Or better yet, make the commitment from being just a a participant uh, of Church Leader Insights to being part of our family. And the way you would do that is you would join my basic level coaching network called the Renegade Pastors Network. And uh, you've seen in this podcast what the quality of material is like that we present at the Renegade Pastors Conference, which is a free conference you're able to attend uh, each year as part of the Renegade Pastors Network membership. But uh, what you haven't heard is uh, the monthly calls where I invest in you and I brief you and train you uh, every month with the latest things that you need uh, to be an effective pastor, plus uh, our longer equipping interviews that we do with uh, folks like Patrick Lencioni, Larry Osborne, Rick Warren, Gary McIntosh, uh, 
other key uh, business leaders and best-selling authors that you may have. And uh, I leverage my uh, personal network and uh, uh, ministry leaders and uh, mentors and bring them into the network so you can have up-close access to their latest thinking. And uh, some people say that hour on the equipping call is the equivalent of reading uh, four or five books each month because there's so much content uh, in that call. Plus the regular coaching from me, uh, plus newsletters that you receive and uh, recordings of each of the resources, plus the private membership site at renegadepastors.com, free access and membership and all this kind of stuff that you get being a member of the Renegade Pastors Network. Now the heart behind the Renegade Pastors Network is that that it's a network for abandoning average and uh, fulfilling your calling. And, uh, you know, nobody went in ministry to be average. And if you think about uh, your initial call to ministry, for me, that came in 1990. So I've been doing this for quite a while. And uh, I've had the privilege not only to write uh, almost, uh, well, a dozen books or more, uh, as well as uh, over 100 different resources on church growth and evangelism that you find at churchleaderinsights.com. I've also personally coached over uh, 2,000 pastors, and that continues to grow. And uh, I want to be your coach. And uh, the Renegade Pastors is my basic uh, entry-level network, and by that I mean it's, uh, it's a very broad-based network that focuses on life, as well as uh, the personal life of the pastor, as well as the church life of the pastor. And it's also the gateway to my uh, deeper networks, like my Senior Pastor Systems Coaching Network, or Assimilation Coaching, or Advanced Coaching, or whatever it might be. But this is the place to start. And as a podcast listener, you got to get started somewhere. And uh, this is an extremely valuable network. In fact, from the moment you join, you receive the latest uh, uh, hard copy book of mine. Uh, You receive a a, a bonus package. You'll see this all on the website I'm going to give you. You'll see a bonus package of over $800 worth of my best uh, leadership resources. Uh, If you're in the U.S. or Canada, you get a Renegade Pastors t-shirt that we can mail to you. Unfortunately, right now, we can't mail those outside of uh, those two countries. But uh, you also get private access to an online hub, my Rolodex, uh, previous recordings, equipping interviews, book summaries, everything that you need uh, to stay off of average and fulfill your calling. So there's so much uh, that I'd like to tell you, but let me just give you this website. And you can go to renegadepastors.com forward slash podcast. Now, normally, if you just picked up this network off the shelf, uh, it would be $99 a month to be a part of the network. And, uh, but I know pastors sometimes are hesitant uh, when it comes to that kind of investment. And, and truthfully, uh, some people who do coaching, uh, they don't have as uh, strong of an organization as we have at Church Leader Insights. They don't have the experience that I have. And so maybe you've had a, a little bit of a bad experience uh, in the past and, and you're not ready just to step into full membership. So what I've done for you, because you made it to the end of this podcast, and I, and I know you're the type of person that would fit in or you wouldn't still be listening right now. I want to give you a full 60-day test drive. That's two full months uh, from the day you join, 60 days thereafter. And uh, you get all the benefits. You get all the free resources. You get everything sent to you. Uh, You get the free t-shirt I was talking about. You get the free book I was talking about. You get everything uh, just as if you had invested $99 a month. But you get it for only $1. So that's only $0.50 per month, which uh, is about $0.12 a day. Uh, I believe if it's even that, I don't know, two cent a day or something. I, I don't even want to think about it. It's so cheap. Penny and a half. I'm trying to do the math in my head, but that's not the point. But I will tell you this. It's only $1 for a full 60 day uh, trial 
uh, test drive of the Renegade Pastors Network. And the reason I'm struggling is this is kind of a new thing uh, to give this for only a dollar. But the point is, it's the full network. You get full access. It's not like joining a gym where you only get to work on one machine. You get full access to everything in the network for two months. I want you to use it, download it, get the resources, uh, be on the calls with me if you can, uh, take advantage of everything, wear the t-shirt, read the book, you know, share the, uh, share the love. I want you to be a part of it for a full 60 days because I know that after that, you're going to like it so much that you're going to want to continue to be uh, a part of it. And if you don't, uh, you can cancel at, at any time and uh, you won't be charged anymore. Uh, after that, and uh, you can just let us know. So all of this is laid out on a website, and you can read it, make a fully informed decision. You can even call our office if you'd prefer to sign up by phone. And uh, the website is, here it is, renegadepastors.com forward slash podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And you may not have ever been to that website. That's a private coaching website I have, renegadepastors.com forward slash podcast. But uh, at that special link, forward slash podcast, it's the only place you're going to find what I'm talking about here with the $1 60-day test drive just for podcast listeners. So I hope you'll take a look at that. And I want to thank you for being a part of the Church Leader Insights family. And uh, if you haven't been to churchleaderinsights.com lately, be sure you check that out. Uh, follow me on iTunes or on my blog at churchleaderinsights.com forward slash blog. Or you can go to nelsoncersey.com to find the blog uh, as well. And uh, there's going to be a new uh, series of podcasts coming up. Very excited about that. So you'll hear about that uh, next time. But uh, in the meantime, if you found this podcast helpful, uh, do me a favor. Let your friends know about it. Uh, email somebody in your denomination or call a friend from seminary and say, hey, you got to check it out. This crazy guy over at churchleaderinsights.com, he bends over backwards uh, to help us do our church uh, well. And that really is why I do it. Uh, God has called me not only to be a pastor of the Journey Church, but also to come alongside of you and help you uh, in pastoring your church. And I praise the Lord for that opportunity. So thank you for being a part of this uh, uh, podcast. We'll see you back again soon at churchleaderinsights.com. I'm Nelson Searcy. God bless you.